0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to part two of tonight's Dan and Joe Sports Show, our uh, Athens game week special. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. And Joe, before we get to looking at this week's games, I did want to talk about uh, two big time coordinator firings. Ones that we've been expecting to see for a long time now on two sides of the ball. Uh, Brian Ferentz, he's been made fun of for multiple years. He's had... Probably the most popular AI persona on the internet right now coming up with great such uh such great statements as uh you know the the defense uh, the special teams and the offense had 96 plays to score points against Penn State too, but they didn't do it. And all the other things when they scored 42 points, uh saying get a ladder and climb out of my blank, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Even people like having, uh, you know, of course, one of the big deals in Iowa is the wave from the children that unfortunately have cancer that can look down on the stadium. Uh, Someone had like AI'd it to where the windows uh, had spelled out fire, uh, Brian Ferentz, which of course they didn't do that, but made it look like even cancer children don't like him. Um, And Joe, I mean, he definitely held on to the job for probably years, more than he should have because his dad's been the head coach and his dad is the longest tenured head coach in all of college football in Kirk Ferentz. But I guess the noise finally got too much and he had to let his son go. Um, But, I mean, look at where Iowa is. I mean, if they even had an okay offense, they might have a couple national championships now. But their offense has truly just been pathetic.
1: Yeah, they've had a lot of years, I feel like, historically as a program – where yeah, the offense has been the issue. And what was it like, twenty fifteen, when they played Michigan State in the um, Big Ten championship game? They were undefeated going into that game, and then uh, Michigan State, of course, won like one of the most off, you know, defensive games I've ever seen, like like under ten points for each team.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's what what Iowa's done. I mean, they really have had a program where if they score seventeen points, you expect them to win. And, I mean, their defense has been amazing. Um, but it's kind of weird because their offense is, is – they play a complementary style of football where it's almost like the offense is there to cater to the defense. Like, the purpose of the offense is not to score points. It's almost just to not turn it over and not put their defense in a bad situation. Because they have great special teams. Their punter is probably going to be the guy that wins the Ray Guy Award. But their offense – I mean, they lost a game 12-10. to 10 against Minnesota, that's how bad the offense is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, not um, with the times as far as, you know, the offense they're running. And, you know, I was just pulling up on Wikipedia. I was looking at some of Ferentz's, uh seasons in the past. You know, he's always had some good teams. You, you rarely see a bad season in Iowa, but, but you're right. Like, the offense is kind of uh, what holds them back. Of course, I guess, you know, one of his claims to fame is uh, that big win against LSU and that uh, Capital One Bull to end Saban's tenure.
0: Yeah, that, that is something he did. Um, I mean, I think they've been to a couple Rose Bowls since he's been there. Kind of seems like every four or five years he'll have a really good season, but they usually they're somewhere in that 8 to 10 win range, and then every five years they'll win 11, 12 games and kind of come out of nowhere and shock you. But it's been a consistent thing throughout the entire time he's been coached. They'll win games like seven to three, and you just don't see a lot of offensive output. I mean, I can't even name a single Iowa offensive player. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard historically to even name too many of them. The only one I ever think of about is Drew Tate, who was the quarterback for the years.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. I vaguely remember him. But I mean, they're all, it's just their offense is there to cater to their defense. That's what the the point of it is. It's the way he's ran his program, and it's worked to an extent. And what's crazy is, you know, Brian Ferris has let go, but right now, Iowa is the one leading their side of the Big Ten and probably is going to be the one that ends up going to the Big Ten championship game. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it really is insane.
0: But, you know, he finally, uh, Finally got let go. I haven't seen the latest AI video from Brian Ferret since he got fired, but I'm sure it's quite humorous. Uh and now, you know, you look at it that uh Brian Ferentz gets fired, and then on the defensive side of the ball, uh it's been talked about for weeks that man, USC's got an incredible offense. Look at Caleb Williams, but yeah, they keep losing games, and their defense is just so terrible. Uh, When is Alex Grinch going to finally get let go? Well, it turns out that it took a game where they gave up 52 points to Washington, and where they scored 42 and still lost. Uh, I mean, can you imagine scoring 42 points and losing by double digits? Well, that's what happened to him, and that's what it took for Alex Grinch to finally get fired uh, by Lincoln Riley. I think there was a lot of loyalty there. You know, uh, Lincoln Riley brought in Alex Grinch to Oklahoma when they were having a lot of struggles with defense. And it did turn him around to where they had probably one of their better defensive seasons, the year that Jalen Hurts was their starting quarterback. Um, And then when he went to USC, he took, it with, took him with him. And Grinch was a guy who had a lot, of, a lot of credence from being a defensive coordinator that really kind of matched with a pass-heavy offense. If you remember where his first name, his name became a big deal, was when he was Mike Leach's defensive coordinator at Washington State.
1: Yeah, and prior to that, I think he coached like as a position coach with Missouri when they went to the SEC title game a couple of times. So he had some pedigree. But it's kind of one of those situations where he's always kind of you know struck me as the type of defense coordinator where in year 1, um he's going to you know maybe do well, but like over time just not going to be like a long-term, you know great defense coordinator. Like it reminds me of the that year the Saints had um Rob Ryan's their defensive coordinator. Like The first year was great, and then every year after that, like he just wasn't good.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it seems like it's been like. because I mean, he was really good his first year at Oklahoma. I think they had like a top 20 defense that year. USC's defense wasn't great last season, but it was very opportunistic. I mean, I think they were like the best turnover ratio in America last year, and that was something that kind of kept them going. And this year, nothing's good. They're allergic to tackling. They're not getting turnovers. I mean, they just – you see play, like players run at them, and it almost seems like they're running the opposite direction. It's just very undisciplined, not tough, and you knew it was going to happen at some point.
1: And I think that you bring up a good point. I feel like that's the hallmark of these uh, inconsistent defensive coordinators are the ones that run that opportunistic defense. It always seems like that's the way it is.
0: Yeah, it'll blow up. You'll it'll, it'll have one good season, but that's not a sustainable model.
1: hmm Right.
0: Joe, what I wouldn't have thought was a sustainable model was Bo Nix, a quarterback. I saw it for three years at Auburn, but he really has flipped the script. And right now, you know, Oregon coming off a 63-19 to win over Cal, uh, that's not a bad Cal defense, by the way. That's a pretty solid Cal defense. I would say right now that Bo Nix is the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy.
1: I think so. And, you know, the way it's shaping up, and they have a rematch against Washington – He's got the the game uh, this week against USC. And so I I really think that you have um, the schedule set up for him. I think he's got the stats. And I just don't think there's anybody that's going to be quite comparable to him. I I know that you got Michael Penix Jr., but something about Bo season this year, the efficiency that he's played with, I I mean, the the completion percentage is, what, almost 80%? I mean, yeah. just just ultra efficiency. I, I just don't think at this point, unless he just has a complete tailspin, I don't think anybody's going to be able be able to overtake him.
0: I don't think so either. And you think about the opportunity he has this weekend, taking on Caleb Williams and USC. He can show up last year's Heisman Trophy winner, and with that uh, with that defense that can't even tackle air right now you kind of feel like you can name this number against USC. Does he want to throw for 500 yards? Does he want to score 80 points? Does he want to throw for eight touchdowns? I mean, these are things that are like, sound ridiculous, but really aren't when you're talking about how putrid USC's defense is.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, it's certainly a worthwhile point. And, you know, he's got them this week. You know, kind of have a quasi-bye against ASU after that. But then he's got Oregon State at the end of the season, so that will be, you know, a good rivalry game. I think that's going to be on a Friday night in prime time. And so, yeah, it, it's setting up very well, too, with the Pac-12 championship game. It's still a great opportunity to take this team to the playoff.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're sitting there right now at the sixth hole. Um, if they get a chance to be to play, take on Washington again, they can surpass them with a victory. And somebody in the top four, Ohio State, Michigan, that loses, I think Oregon would get the nod over them. Yeah, I think so. Um. Joe, we've been talking about great offense, what Bo Nix has been doing this season, passing for almost 80% on completion ratio. Let's switch over to great defense now. In my lock of the week, uh, brought to you by, of course, uh, our good friends Hunter and Ginger Harrelson of Beach Ball Properties. Of course, it's, uh, it started to heat up a little bit again. You can get your last little bit of uh, nice weather where maybe it's swimmable. I think there's a debate that you could probably get in the ocean right now. Uh, and go have yourself a little bit of a, a late fall uh, vacation down at Orange Beach or Gulf Shores and go have a ball at the beach. Um, Joe, we went from talking about Bo Nicks to now I want to talk about defense, and that's Penn State and Michigan. Uh, I saw that the over under in this game is 44 and a half. These are two of the best top five defenses in all of America. Uh, we saw what happened when Penn State and Ohio State played. Pretty much an odd game where Ohio State got the win 20-12. to And, Joe, what really makes me think this is going to be a low-scoring affair is the way that Drew Aller played against Ohio State gives me no expectation that there's any way that he can put up more than a touchdown, if maybe two, against what is a really solid defense. So, Joe, I look at this at 44-and-a-half. This looks like a game to me where – If it's 21-17, to I would be surprised in terms of the offenses that we're going to see.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like uh, the complexity of the game is going to uh, play out that way. And I can see points uh, definitely being at a premium, especially for Penn State, as you articulated. Um, What I'm looking at for the lock of the week is uh, Duke and UNC. You know, Duke, of course, had injury problems with Riley Leonard, their star quarterback. But at the same time, um, you know luke may and uh UNC um they've or Drake may excuse me I was talking about the basketball player Drake may and uh USC is um I guess yeah I forget there they're related um Drake may and uh and USc kind of inconsistent at times and so I feel like um when you look at the line for that game UNc favored about 14 and a half I feel like duke's got got a very good chance to cover them.
0: Joe, I think they got a good chance to cover, it. and I also think that if you want to take a um, take a runner on a on a good value money line pick, I think it's plus five hundred right now. If you want to take Duke, where that's a five to one payout, and as great a job as as as, uh, as Elko has done coaching up the this team this year, even without Riley Leonard in a rivalry game, you got to think that Mike Elka is going to have the Blue Devils ready to play. And, and I think that you're right. They're definitely going to cover the spread, and I would not be surprised at all if they got the dub.
1: Yeah, they get. I think it's like the little bell trophy that they get to ring or something like that, whoever wins it.
0: That's right. But, Joe, switching back to the Michigan and Penn State game for a second, um, how much pressure do you think is on James Franklin to win this game? Because I looked at his stats before the show. He's got three wins in his entire time as head coach against Ohio State and Michigan collectively. He beat Ohio State once the the year they made um, the Big Ten championship game and won it and went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, I think that was 2016, I want to say. Uh, and then he's only beaten Michigan twice. He's got a great defense. This is one that on paper everyone this year was like, if Penn State can't get it done this year, when are they going to get it done? Uh, they got a five-star quarterback and Drew Aller that everyone's been talking so much about. They returned their really good running back tandem, uh, Daytron Allen and Nick Singleton, um, but the offense just hasn't. When they played good teams, hasn't really seemed to be there. And so, you know, if you're James Franklin, how important of a game is this for where you're at with Penn State? I mean, of course, you're not any any threat of losing your job or anything like that, and. You know you think about when the the it becomes a 12 team playoff Penn State's going to be in my mind the most obvious beneficiary of that system because I think there's probably at least 3 or 4 times since James Franklin's been there that they would have made a 12 team playoff. So, what do you think, Joe? You think this is a big watermark game for James Franklin?
1: I think so. Um, you know, I, I think the as good as Michigan has been, you know, throughout the year, I think that everybody's obviously thinking that Michigan is going to win, and it wouldn't be, you know, a huge deal for Franklin if he lost. But I think that it's an important game because with everything going on with the controversy of Michigan football, I think that people watch this game now, um, viewing Michigan as kind of that enemy, um, and, and a lot of people, I think, are going to be rooting for Penn State in this game. No, we we're also talking about, you know, before the show, um, earlier that uh, Penn State has kind of been in that category where they're the third team now in the Big Ten, whereas a few years ago they actually were ahead of Michigan in that regard and were just behind Ohio State, and so they've slipped a little bit. And I think that, you know, there, there's frustration at times where, while he's had some great seasons, you almost feel at times that their best is just never going to be good enough to top Ohio State and Michigan. And so I think winning a game like this would, would be very important.
0: I think so, too. I mean, they get the game at home, which is big, big deal. I mean, I've, ran, I've raved a million times on the show about how great of an environment I think Happy Valley is when you have the whiteout game. Um, this is going to be a noon kickoff. So it's not going to be quite the same environment, but I know those fans are going to be out there in, in droves to win this. And you're right. I mean, I think that uh, Penn State's going to be the White Knights this weekend. I think everyone wants to see them take down uh, the dark maze blue, the evil ones, you know, for their sign stealing. And if Penn State had a better offense, I would definitely pick them to win this game. But I picked them to win the Ohio State game. And at one point in that game, Drew Aller was 10 of 31 passing. I want to say they were like one of 18 on third down. And as good as Ohio State's defense is, Michigan's defense is better. And if that's the way that Penn State played against Ohio State on, you know, with their defense, I just can't see how they're going to be able to do better against a really a top-notch Michigan defense. And while I think that if Penn State could be right there within like three points, then maybe they get some help from the officials who I think the Big Ten is going to be out to get Michigan. I just don't see that there. And I like Michigan to win this game because I just can't trust Penn State's offense.
1: I mean, that's a a valid point. Yeah, I think Michigan probably wins as well. But the schedule's setting up where if Penn State can somehow get out of this game with a win, I mean, it becomes really interesting because they finished with Rutgers and at Michigan State. And so they're going to win the last two games. And so this is the difference between, you know, they could be 11-1 and and be in that conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean – I'm not sure how the the big 10 tiebreakers like match up, but they would have a win over Michigan and let's say Michigan beats Ohio state. They'd all have one loss and you'd have to figure out who got in there, but they would definitely have a good argument to make the college football playoff. And it may be an argument similar to what Ole Miss has. Well, I got a win over Michigan. I got a win over Georgia. It doesn't matter whether we make the championship or not.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: Um Joe, speaking of of that game, that's a good transition for us to get into the game of the week in college football. It's where college game day is. It's where I'm going to be on Saturday. It's Ole Miss and Georgia. And it's going to be the the game of the week. And of course, uh, it's where I'm going to be at uh, Georgia and Ole Miss. Uh, It's going to be a night game, Joe, which I'm really excited for the last time that I went to a Georgia game. I went to the Auburn Georgia game when I was a junior there in two thousand nine, and it was a night game. And it is a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, I've now been to a night game in Death Valley, and my memory of a Georgia night game was pretty similar to how loud it got. Um, You know, Georgia fans are pretty intense. Uh, They they have a lot of hatred for Auburn, so it was pretty. it, It was very interesting for me in that regard to see. You know how much vitriol there was there. Of course, it's not going to be the same level with Ole Miss, but you know this is the the biggest night game that Georgia has of the year, and probably the, and it's the biggest home game they have. And with what has been, you know, not really the most difficult schedule, with not the best home slate, I think they're really going to come out in droves, and this is going to be an amazing environment.
1: Yeah, I can certainly see that, and you're right; they haven't had the home slate you know, the, that they've had before in recent years. And so this is definitely um, a game that they're uh, penciled, you know, circled. And I think that a lot of people around the country have just felt the way the season has gone on, that if Georgia's going to lose, this is going to be the game. And I think a lot of people think, you know, for some reason that there's a decent chance, I guess rightfully so, that Ole Miss can pull it off.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have seen the struggles that Georgia's had against teams that can run the ball well. You look at Auburn getting over 200 yards against them. You look at Cordy Schrader last week for Missouri getting over 100 yards rushing against them. Um, you know, Ole Miss has a better one-two punch than either one of those teams does with Quinshawn Jenkins and, of course, with Ulysses Bentley. And, I mean, Ole Miss is, has really picked up their running game the last couple of weeks. Uh, it was kind of weird in the beginning of the season. They weren't able to run the way I expected them to, but you definitely – have seen them kind of come alive with that. And Quinchon, especially, is really starting to play really good. You know, he's got the thriller going on now after touchdowns, and he's kind of feeling it.
1: Yeah, he's already got, I think, 12 rushing touchdowns on the season. So, big number there. He's got, I think, over 800 rushing yards now. So, definitely looking more like himself. And I think that you know, we talked about Harris in the last show. And so, his compliment um, is uh, as a receiver, I think, takes the pressure off the running game. And then, um, you know, Dart, I think, in this type of setting, just has to avoid turnovers. The offensive lines got to play well again. I thought they did really well overall against um, a good um, defensive front for a Texas A&M. Yeah. I think that um, when I look at Georgia, Dan, um, the interesting thing I find about this game is that it reminds me a little bit about A&M to this degree. I feel like without Bowers out there – you've got a slew of just five-star players, but you don't have the household names to me that you normally have for Georgia. Like, if if you're looking at household names in this game, I feel like Ole Miss kind of dominates that matchup where uh, I, I do find that as an interesting component.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Joe. I mean, you know, in years past with Georgia, you've heard, oh, there's Jordan Davis, there's Brock Bowers, there's Stetson Bennett, um... You know, there's uh Nicobe Dean, like all these kind of players. And even with their defenses here as good as it is, can't really like you don't have the same level of defensive, like, you know, uh big names which you've had in the past.
1: Yeah, like if you if you didn't tell me this was Georgia, I feel like I would not be as fearful of this team.
0: Definitely not. Now, I will say that Carson Beck has had a very good season and he's been a better quarterback than Stetson was when he was in Georgia. Uh, Carson Beck throwing like over 70%. He's thrown for over hundred yards in a lot of games. Um, one thing I will say is that he played not his best game against Missouri last week. And I think they might've given a template on how to pressure him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. So maybe, you know, Ole Miss can take something from that. And, you know, speaking of pressure, uh, Jared Ivey, he had to leave um, the end of the A&M game. And so, you know, his health is going to be uh, paramount for Ole Miss, getting pressure to Beck. Um, I think that it was key for Ole Miss, though, just having the opportunity to play this game with all the marbles on the table. You know, I told you earlier that historically Ole Miss has always had so many issues with losing that game that stands in the way of getting to the game that matters. Yeah. Think about Arkansas 2015 – you know that kind of felt to me kind of like A and M was where that was a game Ole Miss historically easily would have lost, and so I give Kiffin a lot of credit for winning some of those games like that. But at the end of the day, um, I, you know th- this is obviously going to be such a tall task, and, and like you said, uh, in, in that nighttime setting too.
0: Yeah, Joe. I mean, I heard something uh, crazy that do you know the last coach is to be Georgia at home? Who's that? Will Muschamp at South oh, wow. Carolina, isn't that weird? The last person yeah. to beat Georgia in Athens was Will Muschamp at South Carolina. Wow,
1: no, that's insane. I don't remember the last time they lost a home game.
0: It was either like 2018 or 2017. No, it wouldn't been 2017 because they the only game they lost that year in the regular season was Auburn. So I think it was 2018. They lost at home with Will Muschamp at South Carolina. And that's it, man. So they haven't lost a game at home in five years.
1: My goodness. Yeah, I mean, just – so, I mean, that, that adds to it, how tough it's going to be for Ole Miss. You know, historically Ole Miss obviously hasn't played them as much. Um, East-West uh, setup and format, but Ole Miss has not won there much at all. I think it's their first trip there since uh, 2012. Um, the team's last squared off the, in 2016 – at Oxford and Ole Miss won that very uh, surprisingly, uh, you know, easily. But, again, that was Kirby Smart's first year. And so, kind of the way I see this game playing out, Dan, I think that Ole Miss is going to be right there in the sense that I think they'll have as good a chance as anybody to beat Georgia. I feel like this is setting up to be kind of a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. But I just had my doubts about whether Ole Miss can finish it off. I think that when you have a game like this, the depth of a team like Georgia um, can stand out where Ole Miss may get gassed a little bit on the defensive side in the fourth quarter. Um, I think that Lane Kiffin will have, you know, some strategic uh, tricks up his sleeve offensively. I think you'll see one or two really well-designed trick plays, maybe even executed. But it feels like Ole Miss may come up just short in this type of game.
0: Yeah, Joe, I mean, I feel like the the big number on this one is that 200 number. Uh, Auburn was able to get over 200 yards rushing against Georgia and just about won the game. And Auburn doesn't have any of the receivers or the quarterback that Ole Miss has. I think that if you could somehow get 200 yards rushing, then that'll free up a lot in the passing game, and I think Ole Miss wins. Now, do I think that they're going to get to that number or no? But I do think that's the number that tells you who wins or not. Um I think that you're going to have to probably get a 200-200, at least 200 yards rushing and 200 yards passing. And that seems like a tall order against this uh, Georgia, de- uh, Georgia Georgia defense.
1: It does. It does. And the other thing I was thinking about, heard somebody say this, you know, if Ole Miss can just get to the fourth quarter and have a chance, you know, that's all they can ask for. It's kind of like just winning, you know, um, every four-minute stretch and giving yourself a chance. The only thing I always worry about when teams kind of play that ball control um, offense and try to eat the clock is I sometimes feel like it makes the team too conservative at times Mm -hmm. where they leave points on the board and they settle for field goals. You know, it becomes kind of a field position game. And so while I'm hopeful that Lane Kiffin will be aggressive at times, I talked about how I expect some trick plays. I am concerned that Ole Miss might at some point be their own worst enemy because they're almost, you know, afraid of themselves. Like, they're afraid of their shadow. They're afraid to really just go out there and run their offense like they normally would.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Joe. But by the same token, I don't want him to go crazy and go for it on fourth down like six times or anything like that. And I, I'm worried that could happen, that he might get, you know, try to press too much and do, uh, do things he doesn't need to. I mean, I, I think that Ole Miss is good enough on their own merit to hang with George and they don't need to be crazy with some of their philosophies.
1: Yeah, it's that it's that right dance, that right rhythm, where I think they need. To, yeah, they need to be in the middle, where they're not, you know, um, too aggressive, but they're also not doing, you know, what they would normally. They're they're, they're being who they are normally.
0: Yeah, and, and what they've done normally has worked every game. Like the one game they lost against Alabama, I don't really feel like Alabama was that much better of a team than Ole Miss. I just kind of felt like Lane coached a bad game.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they just didn't show up ready to go.
0: Yeah, so, Joe, I'm looking at this as, you know, Ole Miss has – they have all the players to make the, the, this opportunity. They're just going to have to get over, you know, not making any mistakes. And one thing that does benefit Ole Miss is Georgia's defensive line and their pressure on the quarterback is not the same as what it's been in the past. Um, I think Georgia is like, you know, barely even top 50 when it comes to sacks, which is crazy. And almost his offensive line is playing good. So I think Jackson Dart's going to have time to throw the ball this week. The issue is he's going to have to make sure that he doesn't make bad decisions because what is Georgia known for, especially with Kirby Smart? They got great defensive backs. So this is going to be, you know, it's going to be up to Jackson Dart to not throw a couple picks because this is a game he could easily throw multiple interceptions in.
1: Oh
0: yeah, he's gotta avoid that for sure. Yeah. Uh Joe, I'm picking uh Georgia to win this game 34
1: to 28. Okay. I think I'll go Georgia um twenty seven
0: to twenty-three. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a one score game and it's gonna be one where it's in that thirties and twenties range. Um I really hope that Ole Miss it proves me wrong and wins, but I'm also never going to pick them to win a game like this when I'm going. It's a bad block.
1: Right, right. I understand that.
0: Uh, Joe, another game that's really big, a lot of uh, implications, uh, Tennessee traveling to Missouri. So now we've seen that uh, Missouri went toe-to-toe with Georgia. They're out of the SEC East race, but Tennessee – it still has the outside chance. They're they're big Rebels fans this week. If Ole Miss can beat Georgia, then Tennessee gets to host Georgia at Neyland Stadium in front of a lit atmosphere for a chance to win the SEC East. Um, Joe, I like the way that Missouri's been playing. I think they take a a big moral win from last weekend. But I just – I can't bet against the Vols on this when I think about the fact that Tennessee has the number one rushing defense – and one of the things that Missouri is really hanging their hat on is Corey Schrader running the ball. And, uh, you know, Tennessee also has the number one rushing offense. And Missouri has been giving up a pretty good amount of rushing yards. I think that Missouri is going to lose a close one in this and that Tennessee gets their chance against Georgia. Now, I don't think it's going to be the chance to win the SEC East, but it is going to be a chance to, to host Georgia and Neyland in a big game.
1: Yeah, I think Tennessee um, will win as well. Uh, it seems like you know that they're gonna want to have that opportunity you know to at least con- to control what they can control on their side. But how about that? like how crazy would that be? you know, as good as George has been obviously as dominant as they've been if they were to you know, lose all this and then lose the next week to Tennessee where it just happens so fast that they're out of
0: everything. I mean it, it's crazy, but it's possible. you know this is their this is their season. Georgia's season is the next two weeks, and it's by far the two toughest games they've had. And you you think Ole Miss is getting to catch them in a good place? They're not going to have Brock Bowers. Uh, they just played a tough game uh, in Missouri right after they had their big rivalry win, where they exploded against Florida. From a you know tail of the season standpoint, Ole Miss has got them in a good place. And then if you're Tennessee, you're going to be in a better spot. That'll be three tough games they've had in a row right before you and you get them at the most intimidating atmosphere in all of college football, I mean, if they lose one, they very well could lose both.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to wonder. I mean, it, again, I, I don't expect it, but there's something – I do have an eerie feeling that, you know, it, it's the worst time of the year for you to play your two most important games.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, – Georgia's had a little bit of a trappy schedule. You know, it was so easy for so long, and then when it hits you, it's really hitting you.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: Joe, speaking of really hitting you, uh Jaden Daniels and LSU got really hit by Dallas Turner <laughs> and Bama. They got hit right to the face. And now they gotta pull themselves off the mat and take on a very hungry Florida team. Florida is coming off the most embarrassing loss uh, they've had all year with losing to Arkansas, who hadn't won a game in conference and even lost to Lowly Mississippi State seven to three. Uh, yet Arkansas, they'd fired, uh, Dan Enos the week before they elevated. I think it was like the wide receivers coach to offensive coordinator. He had never called a play in his entire life. And yet, uh, Arkansas was able to come alive and beat Florida in overtime with a pretty good offensive showing. Now Florida gets LSU, which may or may not have Jaden Daniels and Joe, this is a fascinating game to me.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, one, one of those uh, cross-divisional rivalries, obviously, that want to happen is regularly going forward. But, but still, I think that um, Florida um, has an opportunity if Daniels is unable to go. I, I think he's probably going to play, from what I was reading earlier online. Um, I know he's been in concussion protocol, but I think they expect him to be able to practice maybe tomorrow. But at the same time, you got to think that he'll be a little bit hobbled and just not quite himself. I do think it helps um, LSU with this game being at home. Definitely. I think that, you know, while you question the motivational factor for them going forward, I, I do think them being at home, I think I probably still pick them to win it.
0: Yeah, Joe, I'm taking LSU on this because it's at home. And I really think this is a game where you see how great of a coach Brian Kelly is. Because I think the BK is going to be able to get them refocused on what matters, um, you know, he's gonna say, Hey, this is, you know, maybe the last time we get to take on Florida and what's been a pretty interesting rivalry uh over the last twenty some odd years. And I think that he's gonna get him in the right headspace to you know, look past the what was a really devastating loss, but move forward on what you can have this season. And that's a ten win season and maybe a chance of like a sugar bowl or something.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um, Joe, uh, you know, this game is very low on the totem pole, but it's a big deal for Auburn and for Arkansas. Uh, Auburn's traveling to Arkansas. Auburn has the chance to win three SEC games in a row, which now I understand is being Mississippi State, uh, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. But in Hugh Freeze's first season, I think this is a game that was you know, probably was a 50-50 game to begin the year. And if they could get this win, that assures them of getting to seven wins with a chance to beat Alabama for a possible eighth game at home. And I think that, you know, this is everything you could have wanted as an Auburn fan, and this is a big opportunity. And on the flip side of Arkansas, they got their big win against Florida in overtime. Now they can win out. They'd have to beat Auburn. I'm not sure who the middle team is, but I think it's probably a cupcake, and then Missouri to end the season to even get the six wins. And, you know, this is going to be a very, uh, very hungry Arkansas team they're taking on with a lot of confidence. And this is a really sneaky good game also.
1: Yeah, I just checked their schedule. They got uh, Florida International um, in between um, Auburn and um,
0: Missouri. There you go. There's the cupcake game.
1: Yeah, so there you go.
0: And, of course, this is a real fascinating game. We'll continue our fascinating discussion of Auburn and Arkansas when we come back from our break and we bring Joe back on. Uh, as always, I'm Dan. You can uh, catch all of our episodes on Spotify. And, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel to see us in live and living color. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And we will see you in just a little bit. Thank you.